What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Colleen Lubin on the episode today. I'm so excited to hear her story. And Colleen, I'm just going to throw it at you. Start wherever you'd like. Okay, thanks. Um, Well, I guess starts with getting married in September of 2015. Um, we, We had had a conversations over the course of dating about like hey biological clock is ticking like how long you're gonna take here um and so we didn't wait too long after getting married to start trying so it was December of 2015 where we're like all right pull the goalie as people like to say and um that next month in January, I was like, I feel kind of weird and then what are the odds that the first time we try something actually works. So took a test negative and I was like, all right, no worries. Like didn't expect anything, but just kept feeling weird, kept feeling weird. And then the theme of all my experiences started, which is spotting. And I just kept spotting, spotting, never had a normal period. And I was like, this is just so strange. I was kind of like clockwork my whole life. So I called the doctor and they did have me go in and then called me back to say, actually, you are technically pregnant, but my HCG, people are familiar (laughs) with the term, was 10, which is like the lowest it has to be to even show up on a pregnancy test. Um, And so she was like, we either caught it really, really early or it's going down. And at that time, I was so naive. I was like, I don't even know what that means. Um, So they had me go back two days later and it was going down. Um, and so she's, she basically said like, so I'm sorry, but you actually were miscarrying. And I was so confused. Like I took a test and it was negative. And then a couple of weeks later, you tell me I was miscarrying. Um, so I was just like, I don't even understand what this means. And she told me it was a chem- chemical pregnancy also the first time I ever heard that term. Um, And it was just, it was sort of a rough way to start was, Mm -hmm. you know, to just like have this shocking, upsetting experience of not understanding what was going on. And so we went in to see the midwife and she was very calm and relaxed about it. It was just like, oh, you know, this happens. And the at least you can get pregnant and just try again it was just so nonchalant about the whole thing and I was like in this state of shock so um we started trying again for the next several months and like the ovulation kits and all the tricks that everyone tells you to do and nothing happened and then May I got pregnant again and then um it was about four or five days in. So we, you and I have this in common with like pretty early things start Mm -hmm. going wrong. So four or five days in, um, started spotting, obviously started to panic, called the doctor every single time. 
they're like, that isn't necessarily bad. Spotting doesn't necessarily mean anything. And I'm like, sure, sure, whatever. I'll never believe you. But um, (laughs) they just told me to relax. I was flying to Virginia for a wine tasting bachelorette party, which is definitely the place you want to be when (laughs) you're technically pregnant, but you know something's (laughs) going wrong. It was awful. Um, I, I love that friend though, but the whole thing was terrible. So um, unfortunately that weekend on my way to the airport, it was no longer a question about whether everything was okay. It just was bleeding at that point, no longer spotting. And I kind of knew we went in to check and everything was going down and it went down to zero. And then thus the cycle began again, um, went in to see the midwife. She told me to take a break and then start trying again. So we took the summer off and I was like, I just need a break in my headspace. And I just, I had, I don't know if it's a feeling, but I had been worried about whether we had, would have issues, um, way beforehand and like with no reasoning, I just kind of had a feeling, but I don't think I expected it to be loss. Like, I just thought we might have a hard time getting pregnant for some reason. And so this was just so different than what I thought it was going to be like. Um, So took a long break-ish and started trying again in August. And again, the first time we tried, we got pregnant and then everything happened again. So basically May and September was like deja vu. Um, But at that point, I had reached that magical number of three so got referred to a specialist, which is what I wanted in the first place. And they did all of the testing and um, everything as far as blood work and sperm counts and everything came back, quote unquote, normal. Um, but I was on the lower end of normal for my age. I was like 34, 35 at that point. So... Um, Then after the testing, she told us we could keep trying on our own. She had me take baby aspirin just as a precaution. Um, I did have, um, I get all these HSG terms messed up, but um, I did have a scan to check on the uterus and they did see something that they thought was scar tissue. So I ended up having a hysteroscopy to remove scar tissue, which she thought might be an issue for like for maintaining pregnancy and turns out it wasn't at all scar tissue it was polyps and so for some reason when I got that diagnosis I was scared but I also was like this is it like this must mm-hmm. be the problem so we're gonna solve it and then when she when I woke up and she was like actually it was polyps and we got them all out so everything's good but then said like that wouldn't have been a cause for anything. So I was like, no, we still haven't found the problem. Like I kept, I was a math major in college, right? So I just kept wanting to find the solution. Like what is the solution? And that was the hardest part was this just unknowing and no one could figure anything out. So um, after those tests, she recommended we consider IVF. Um, She didn't want to do IUI or Clomid because we didn't have a quote unquote conception problem. Um, So she's like, I think that you're miscarrying because the embryos are abnormal and that's what the body is meant to do. 
And so if we can do IVF with the PGS testing, we can weed out any abnormal embryos and then you shouldn't have a problem. And I remember being really excited to start IVF, which I was like when I got braces. <laughs> I was like the oldest teenager <laughs> excited to get braces because I was like, this is a means to an end. This is how I'm going to have nice straight teeth. That's how I felt about IVF. I was like, this is what we're doing. We're going to do this. We're going to pay all this money to test the embryos and we're going to put an embryo in and everything's going to be great. Um, and like, I just went through with that positivity. Like this is different. Everything about this is different and it's going to work. Um, and even knowing the statistics, I was like, it's going to work. It's going to work. But so we went through, actually, sorry, we <laughs> were on the schedule to do IVF in March and, but we got pregnant before that in February. And unfortunately this one ended up being an ectopic pregnancy. So Oh, the way they were monitoring my numbers, my HCG numbers were always pretty low and we're always doing this, like not quite doubling, not quite being where they want to see them. But with this little glimmer of hope that like, maybe next time it'll go up the right amount. Um, but this one at some point stayed sort of high and then just stayed like that. And so then they were nervous. So they brought me in and they um, treated me for an ectopic pregnancy, which included methotrexate shots in the bum, um, which was really scary because the people giving it to you have to wear like full body armor. And I was like, if you're wearing this, how safe is this to be in my body? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I wore, I mean, I wore, <laughs> they wore that. I wore nothing and got uh, this shot and it helped my body process all the tissue and they were, you know, ectopic is kind of scary because it can be, you know, fertility threatening or life threatening depending on where you're at. So ended up with a little ER visit a couple days later because things didn't seem to be going the way they should and had to get another dose of the medicine. Um, but the hardest part was that that pushed back our IVF multiple months because it takes a few months for that medication to get out of your system and they don't want to do IVF and they don't actually want you to try and get pregnant on your own for a couple months after that, um, because it is so strong, which is what's so scary about it. Um, so we waited and, uh, did the IVF in May and everything was going smoothly. We ended up getting nine eggs, which I remember like the first question when I woke up was like, how many did we get? And is that normal? And they were like, for your age, yeah, that's normal. But now when I hear all these other people saying how many eggs they've gotten in IVF, I'm like, I don't know, that sounds kind of low. But all nine of them fertilized, which is great news. And then after day five, we only had two that made it to testing and it was such a big drop off that I wasn't prepared for that made me pretty nervous. And a few days later I got the phone call from the doctor that neither of those embryos were normal. So at that point I started getting to this real dark doom place in my mind that was like, we can't make healthy embryos. Um, if all of these pregnancies were because of the embryos being abnormal and there's no other reason that we could find, then what 
is our chances of making a healthy embryo at all ever. I have kind of a random question just from like, I have not experienced the IVF journey. Um, What is that feeling? Like, does it compare to like miscarriage loss when you find out that like you just, you went through all of that and like you have no nothing healthy Um, embryos? You know, I, I, I listen to so many fertility podcasts, like my favorite thing to do. And I know, I do think that it is for me felt like that one felt like the end. Yeah. And so I don't know if I could put it on the same scale because it wasn't like seeing a positive pregnancy test and then bleeding and then finding out that that isn't going to come to fruition. Mm -hmm. But it was this real sort of turning point for me where I, I was, I was crushed. Like I, I felt like all my insides fell out while I was driving home from work. Cause I get all these phone calls at work. All these bad phone calls (laughs) came when I'm working and I'm like trying to keep it together. And this one, I was like, I have to leave. And I just, I just like walked out. Uh, luckily my supervisor was really supportive, but I was like, I need to leave. And she was like, okie dokie. So it just was, I don't know. It felt like an, like an ultimate disappointment, um, and did feel different to me than losing a pregnancy that I had already. Mm-hmm. But, um, it was just more the, the thought, the loss of the thought of a pregnancy Okay. that I thought would happen that way mm-hmm. <laughs> was pretty rough, you know? So, yeah. But so we took the summer off again. <laughs> we keep taking summers off and decided to do another round in late August. And my doctor, you know, a lot of people will say that every time you do a cycle of IVF, it's like learning your body and how you respond to these medications. So she was like, we got, a decent amount of eggs, but essentially the more eggs we get, the higher likelihood we get an embryo that's healthy. So we did this longer protocol um, to try and generate more eggs. And I ended up with six. So I was already disappointed before anything happened because I was like, I do have this degree in math and I know how statistics work. If we we started with nine and ended up with nothing and then we're supposed to get more, but we got less, this isn't good. So for for that one, um, I kept waiting for the automated email that you get that tells you how many got sent to testing. And I never got it. It was over Labor Day weekend. And my husband's like the ultimate optimist. And so he's like, it's a long weekend. Like you probably get it on Tuesday. I'm like, nah, bro. Like they're always open. They're always open. (laughs) Fertility doesn't wait for holidays. And so I just knew and called, said, I never got this email. Can you let me know what's going on? And then I get this no ID on my phone. And so I was like, oh, this is a doctor, like an actual doctor calling from home, (laughs) from their Mm -hmm. own phone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, no, no. So we all, um, we all know that.
mm-hmm. of them, I just, I don't know. I didn't even know what to think, but I, I was at work because I work at a college. So we always work Labor Day weekend. And I was just like, okay, thanks. And just kind of went on to set up the magician's stage um, <laughs> and just went along my business. And then when I got home, I did, you know, get upset eventually. And then this was the first really and only time that my husband actually got emotional because I think he, he had the moment that I had on the first cycle, which was like, oh no, like this Mm -hmm. is maybe bad. Um, so went back to the doctor and, you know, she was like, this isn't a death sentence to your, you know, ability to be a mother, even though that's what it feels like right now. So we talked about donor material and the thing with us was, you know, she was kind of like, he might be able to get somebody else pregnant and you might be able to get pregnant by somebody else. It's just something about the two of you together that we can't, we don't see in any of the tests, but it's, it's just not matching up. And so she basically told us we could choose whether we wanted to use donor sperm or donor eggs, or we could keep trying on our own because she's like, there's no reason to believe that you can't have a pregnancy on your own, but I just don't know how long it will take. And we're just like, uh, okay. (laughs) That's kind of a lot. Like that's a decision. And like, not that it's any easier if you know for sure that like, this is the thing we need to replace. And so we're going to decide whether or not we want to use a donor for that. And this was like, pick one. We'll see if it works. If not, we'll try the other one. And I was like, why are you so casual about this really big decision? So we obviously decided we needed some time to really think about that and decide if we wanted to try that or not. And then we had another spontaneous pregnancy in that November, which was... 2016, I think. No, this is 2017. November 2017 was the fifth pregnancy and the fifth spotting situation. And I was being monitored. They were worried about an ectopic again, because once you've had one, you're more likely to have another one. But luckily it was not that. It just also wasn't viable. So the numbers kept going up as opposed to my other ones, which stopped at one point and then started going down. These ones kept going up, but just not at a normal rate. So I was at the point where they said, you know, you have the three options that people talk about a lot and the medication waited out or a DNC. And I had just been through so many of them that I was like, I'd rather have this be over and be able to kind of heal and process and move on with my life, I guess, if you can call it that. So I had the DNC, which for me personally was maybe the worst decision I ever made Um, because they, for me, I was under what they call twilight sedation where you're out of it, but you're awake. And it was horrendous for me. I didn't feel any pain, but I could feel everything. I could hear everything. It was just awful. Um, And I was like an empty shell for a long time after that. I just, I, I was like, I'm done. Like I'm done for a significant period of time. Like I can't go through 
anything like this again. So at that point, we're like, okay, we're taking a real break because we really need a, a time away where we can't even wonder if it's possible that we're pregnant. And so we planned a vacation for April. So this is November of 17. We planned a vacation for April of 2018. And we're like, we're going to Paris. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to drink all the wine. You need all the cheese that ever existed in France. And when we get back, we'll decide, like, what do we want to do? Do we want to try IVF again? Do we want to try donor? What, what route are we taking? And so that was our plan. And we were taking a break. And then January of that month, I was working from home because it was a snow day at my college. And I got a phone call from my mom and she was crying hysterically and telling me that she came home and found my dad and he had had a heart attack. And so he passed away suddenly. Um, and it was the worst, like I had a, two years worth of horrible phone calls and this was definitely the worst one. Um, and luckily they lived really close by. So I just hopped in the car and drove over there. But, um, unfortunately he had passed away and we were just devastated. Um, and it was a whirlwind of, I'm the, I'm the person in the family that does all the planning, you know, the coordination, the detail person. So I went right into planner mode, like, okay, you know, we, we need to call people. We need to plan services. We need to figure out what we're doing here. And in the midst of that, I was like three days late. And oh my just, goodness, <laughs> this is a lot. <laughs> I know. So I, of course, like I shouldn't say, of course, the day my dad died, I drank a whole bottle of wine. Um, I'm not, I, I don't know if I'm proud of it or not proud of it, but it's just, <laughs> it's just the facts. So I, we, my house became the house that everybody kind of gravitated towards and we were all there and everybody brought a million trays of food and everything and telling stories and laughing and crying and the whole nine. Um, so the next day, this is the day that he passed the next day. Um, I went to the store to get foam boards for picture collages for the wake. And while I was there, I just picked up a pregnancy test because I thought to myself, we're having a, a wake tomorrow and an Irish funeral. There's going to be a lot of beverages. And I just want to confirm what I already know, which is that I'm obviously not pregnant. Um, and sure as shit, <laughs> uh, the only moment that whole time period that I was home alone, I took the test and it was positive. And uh, FaceTimed my husband who was at the barber shop getting a pre-funeral haircut. And I was like, how? Like, literally how? Because we were taking a break and we were perhaps sometimes using the not as trusted early exit strategy. But <laughs> <laughs> it was like very unlikely that this happened. And here we were. Um, I just like... I could not believe this was happening in the midst of like the worst week of my life. And 
all I thought because of everything I had been through already was like, I can't handle this now. Because my immediate thought was like, this is obviously going to end the way that all five of the other ones ended. So I didn't call the doctor. I didn't do anything. I was like, let me just wait it out because I know what's going to happen. I got about six weeks total, six and a half, seven, maybe total that I'll wait and then it will be over. And I don't want to go every 48 hours for the testing. I don't want to do all this stuff like in the middle of this horrendous moment. So I just didn't call the doctor, but also had everyone make me fake drinks over the weekend while everybody was wallowing in their sorrow because I was like, I don't know, man, this is weird, but I'm not, not going to be drinking. Um, so yeah. And then of course I started spotting about a week later and then I was like, okay, I have to call because if this is ectopic, I obviously have to get treatment for it. And so I need to be a big girl and do what I need to do. Um, so I called, I went in for the blood work. I waited for the phone call. And when they called, I had the same nurse. So I was in the, for the treatment of the fertility center and I had the same nurse. So she's like, Hey, Colleen, it's Chris. I'm like, Hey, Chris, you know, give it to me. Like, I know what it is. Right. She said something like, I don't remember now exactly, but uh, the number was a thousand and forty or something which was like hundreds more than it had ever been for me the whole time. So she's like, I'm not jumping to conclusions, but this is good. And I was like, okay. And didn't know how to respond to a phone call that wasn't bad. Like I had literally never had one. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, this is good. Cool. Go back in 48 hours. And I'm like, I'm sure it needs to double to 2000 and it won't, it'll be 1800 or something close enough to be like hopeful, but not. So I get the phone call the next day and it's 2,500. And she was like, I don't need you to come back again. What? I was like, I yeah. literally like just yelled at like, her. Like, what so is like, this? I don't understand what's happening. So she's like, yeah, we're just gonna have you come in for an ultrasound and just make sure everything looks good. Like it'll be too early to see anything, you know, much, but we just, check and I was like uh, okay so I go in they check I mean they just checked that there was an embryo there they they could see the yolk sac it was in the uterus and they're like all right we're just gonna keep checking you and I was like okay I just I was in such a fog of grief and confusion that I just didn't even really process anything that was happening and then they had me come back two weeks later and I had a different ultrasound tech than I've had all the whole time. And she's like, I read your file. She was my favorite because she was just so straight up. And I'm like, don't sugarcoat things for me. I've been through enough. Just tell me what's going on. So she's like, I read your file. And I just want you to know that as soon as I see something, I'm going to tell you what it is, whether it's good or bad. They're like, I'm just going to tell you. And I was like, thank you. Just tell me what's up. So she gets the wand and she's like, okay, there's the heartbeat. And I like practically fell off the table. And I had been to so many of these appointments by myself, but my husband was there with me for that one. And he was like, just giddy with joy. And I was like, I didn't even have joy. I was just like, I don't understand what you are saying. Like, what are these words coming out of your mouth? Um, 
And that's pretty much how I was the entire pregnancy because it was a very, I think had I not had this history of this loss and this trauma, I probably would have been like skipping along throughout this pregnancy because it was so easy until the very end. Um, It was like, you know, I had a little bit of nausea, but not really. And I, you know, I was tired. I didn't have any horrible symptoms, like some of the things that people talk about. And I'm like, oh my God, I feel so bad for you. I didn't have any of that. And I was like, oh, high five. I don't know. I'm not super religious, but God or whoever, like, thanks for giving me a pretty easy pregnancy after all of this beforehand. Um, But it definitely was this sort of blessing that came out of nowhere that, you know, even for someone who's not a particularly religious person, I think it's very hard not to feel like there isn't some divine intervention that happened with this Mm -hmm. timing. Like, how does this happen the day after this horrible death and loss comes this, this (laughs) life? Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, so anyways, I had, had a pretty routine pregnancy every time I went into the doctor they were like how's everything and I'm like I think okay and then you know they checked me out and I was a wreck the whole time like an absolute wreck I was just nervous about everything every feeling I had I was like oh no you know the farther along it got the more nervous I got um and I was just like I'm really attached (laughs) you know now I'm really attached and I know there's so many people who've had horrible tragedies that have happened like farther along in their pregnancies and all of mine had been really early and I was just scared the whole time that like I know this is possible like I know that unfortunately bad things happen past the 12 week mark and um I was just scared but I also was like trying to trying to convince myself and force myself to find the joy and the happiness in it because it had taken so long to get there. So I really was like, okay, like you will enjoy this. You will wear cute maternity clothes. And like, um, you know, it just, you have to, I don't know. I just had to convince myself verbally (laughs) to enjoy it and not be scared all the time because that was my natural tendency. But because of everything that happened, we scheduled really late, well, I should say relatively late baby showers. Um, I live in Boston. My husband's from New York. So one weekend in August, we had a shower down in New York with all of his family and our friends down there. And then the following weekend, we had a shower planned up here. And my mom is funny. She's anti-shower, like way before any of my stuff. She just she just doesn't like them. So she didn't want to do one at all. She's like, let's do an introduction of the baby party instead. And I was like, no, I think I'm going to have just given birth and the baby's going to be a newborn. And I don't think I'm going to want to do that. So I convinced her to have a very casual shower for me because I was like, we should celebrate this. Like I've gotten so far, this is all good news. So we drove to New York for the baby shower, we drove overnight just so we didn't hit any traffic, went to sleep at my sister-in-law's house and woke up to my water breaking on the morning of the shower. And uh, luckily my sister-in-law and her husband are both in the medical profession. So when I started 
fully losing my ish over that happening and not knowing what to do. I was 33 weeks and six days. So I was like, it's too early. You know, this isn't good. I'm in New York. What the heck? Like the showers today, she already planned everything. All these people are coming. I was just like, what the heck is happening? So this, my sister-in-law came in and she was like, Colleen, we're going to drive you to the hospital now because you're going to have a baby. And I was like, Oh my God. Like the whole time I was like, maybe I won't have the baby right now. Like maybe they can kind of stop this from happening and I can come to the shower later and they'll get it all. Sorted out. <laughs> like, I just was like, Oh, I just couldn't believe that after everything and the chillest, all things considered actual pregnancy. I just couldn't believe this. I'm like, I'm in New York. We hadn't even gotten to do any of our, classes or anything like they were all scheduled for the next two weeks and um went in got admitted they were like yep your water broke so this is happening I mean and luckily I was 33 and 6 so they considered 34 the in my case the safest window to induce my labor so for 24 hours I was put on steroids um for the baby's lung production and then um uh and then the next day they would start inducing labor so they started me on the monday and it was pretty long with nothing happening like they just kept giving me the meds and i just kept not being dilated and then it sort of like sped up feverishly at the very end so Finally, I was like, oh, no, I'm actually feeling contractions, and this doesn't feel great. And, and then I was like, I need an epidural, like, immediately, please. They didn't want to give it to me because I wasn't dilated. And I was like, dude, I've been here for three days already. Like, please. So, um, so they did give me the epidural. I took a nap. And then when I woke up, I was like, I need to push immediately. And Kenny was like, my husband's like, uh, please don't do that. There's nobody in here. So she calls the nurse and she comes in and she's like, don't push. Like, it's probably not what you think. You weren't dilated at all when you went to sleep two hours ago. And I was like, I know, but I'm telling you. So the, the doctor comes in and she was like, oh yeah, no, it's, it's go time. So like everybody comes in and three pushes later, there he was. He's like very much hurry up and wait. Um, so uh, he came out at 12.46 a.m. that Wednesday night and was tiny, four pounds, nine ounces, but luckily healthy. I saw him for like three seconds and then they swooped him out. And because he was so early, he obviously had a whole bunch of tests and things that they needed to do. So it was just, you know, it was a blur. I just was like, what just happened? I, we didn't know the sex of the baby, so you know, they said it's a boy. Everybody had guessed it was a boy already. So I was kind of mad that everyone was right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but luckily we got to, you know, give uh, him my dad's name as his middle name. Aww. So that was like, it was good. You know, obviously I was thrilled either way. Like he was healthy and everything was great. But so we were uh, in the NICU for 10 days and it was a very, very long 10 days. He luckily didn't need any respiratory support or any feeding tubes or anything like that, but he did have his high bilirubin levels. So that's really what kept him in there the longest. 
and just getting him to really like eat enough and eat from us like feeding him so that they could feel okay sending us home and knowing that we had a drive from New York to Boston it wasn't like we were just going around the corner to get home so um we were there for 10 days and then his first ride in the car was all the way home to Boston and uh he just turned one a few weeks ago so it just been wild that's the best word I could use yeah do you see do you see your dad in him yeah um he he yes he's really funny he's very um he's a very like sassy baby which is my dad (laughs) was and um he's very charming and charismatic my dad was always like that we used to call him the mayor like everyone knew him could talk to anybody (laughs) So yeah, he's, he's a lot like that. He doesn't, well, there's a few pictures where he resembles him like a little, but it's more in, in personality, I think. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. And now like, now you have your rainbow. We love stories of hope and you had a very dark storm and your rainbow came through. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, he did. So wait, what was he? Was he your, what pregnancy was he? Six. Six. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So gosh, yeah. lucky number six. Lucky number six. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, you know, yeah, he's, he's a blessing. And my mom, um, she lives with us now. Like we bought a bigger house and we're all together now. Um, and you know, I think that babies, they bring a lot of joy and in a really hard time. Yeah. I think once, once I felt comfortable to tell people, I think it was this like glimmer of hope and happiness even though it was a scary period um Mm -hmm. it was like it was just this exciting thing to look forward to while everyone was kind of mourning and grieving so yeah he's definitely he is a rainbow for sure yeah that's so cool that's awesome (laughs) if you had a piece of advice for anybody in a similar situation what would it be um I would say, like, if I'm going to say a similar situation as far as pregnancy and motherhood after loss, because if Mm -hmm. I would say just about miscarriage, I would just say it's not your fault. (laughs) No matter what you're telling yourself or what you're blaming yourself for eating or doing or not doing, it's not your fault. But I think the, the advice that I wish I had gotten was that, like, your pregnancy and your motherhood doesn't have to be perfect just because it was hard for you to get there. Um, I did, I dealt with a lot and I would say I'm probably still dealing with, with postpartum depression. Um, and I was diagnosed with PTSD as well, which it's just a weird diagnosis for me to wrap my head around, but I think just the trauma has really Mm -hmm. affected me. And I think that part of that was this unrealistic expectation that I set for myself that finally got what you wanted. You are a happy ending, right? You got this amazing blessing. And that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be hard days or that you're not going to deal with the exhaustion and you're allowed. Like I didn't allow myself to feel that way because I felt like I didn't deserve to complain or like to have any issues or to have any hard times. And like when we really struggled with breastfeeding, I was just like, this should be working. Like all this other stuff happened. And so he's here. And so everything from now on should be perfect. And I think that that 
idea of perfection that I had in my head is what created this expectation that was hard to live up to or reach if that Mm -hmm. makes sense so I guess it would just be like be realistic you can be incredibly happy and joyful and blessed and just thrilled that you did have a happy ending after whatever you've been through but that it's also okay to be like why won't you stop crying yeah (laughs) you know it's also okay to be like I don't know where my clothes are because I haven't slept in a week Mm -hmm. Um, it can be really hard to complain and admit that you're feeling those feels after Mm -hmm. what you've been through Right. Yeah. Because people do say to me, like, you got what you wanted. And I'm like, I know, but I'm also, I can't see straight because I'm so tired. (laughs) So, you know, I just think it can be both. And I wish that I had realized that then. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Absolutely. If somebody wants to reach out, is Instagram the best way? Yeah. So I'm on Not Quite Knocked Up on Instagram. And that's also my blog, notquitenockedup.com. So they can find me there. Um, I'm also a volunteer for a nonprofit I just started um, at Miscarriage Matters. And I'm going to be a radio show host for them. So um, I'm going to start. That is so cool. Yeah, I'm really excited. So I'm doing like two shows a month starting this next month. And so I'll be looking for guests and people who want to come on and talk about different topics like getting through the holidays and things like that so if anybody is interested can get at me at not quite knocked up very cool well hey girl i'll be (laughs) yeah beautiful yeah reach out yeah for sure oh my gosh thank you so much for jumping on and sharing your story it means the world and yeah you're awesome well thank you for having me i appreciate it keep doing what you're doing Thanks. You too. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together.